0: Hello and welcome to the Fisher Phillips Wage and Hour podcast. This is a podcast that explores questions and ideas associated with employers desire to pay employees properly. I am Haygood Ty and I have the pleasure of serving as the co-chair of our firm's Wage and Hour Practice Group. Today, I am joined by Viev Hill from our Atlanta office, jean Viev focuses on wage and hour matters and is an active participant in our wage and hour practice group and works on all types of cases, Uh, wage and hour cases, individual claims, advising clients, as well as class and collective action lawsuits. Our topic today is deductions and reimbursements. So we're going to spend a little bit of time discussing when that's appropriate and when it's not. So let's start with some background. The first thing we all need to understand is, is that the rules differ depending on whether we're talking about a non-exempt employee or an exempt employee. So a non-exempt employee is somebody who's paid by the hour, typically, and is eligible for overtime. And we compare that with a salaried exempt employee. That's an employee who, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, is not eligible for overtime, and is often, but not always, paid on a salary basis. So when we talk about non-exempt employees, we're usually talking about hourly employees, and when we talk about salary basis employees, we're t- typically talking about those who are exempt under the, some of the white collar exemptions. So let's first focus on non-exempt or hourly employees. So Jean-Via, tell us, are there times when employers can make deductions from an hourly or non-exempt employee's pay?
1: Hi, hey, good, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, So yes, there are certain situations in which you may make a deduction that cuts into the minimum wage, but you should remember those situations are pretty limited. So some examples of permissible deductions are gonna be deductions that are made for employee owed payroll taxes, This is gonna include your income tax withholding and FICA, as well as taxes owed by an employee but paid by the employer on the employee's behalf. Another area is court-ordered garnishments. These are gonna be deductions for matters such as uh, child support or alimony payments, but you should realize or be sure that you make sure these types of deductions comply with uh, state-specific requirements for garnishments. Another area of permissible deductions is gonna be wage advances and loans. So where the employer has made a bona fide loan or wage advance to an employee, the full amount of the principal can be deducted from the employee's wages, even if it cuts into the FLSA minimum wage or overtime compensation. However, uh, the caveat with that is that this concept doesn't extend to employer add-ons like interest payments, or processing fees, um, or really sums of any kind that are over and above the principal amount of the loan or the advance. Although you aren't required to prepare a written understanding or agreement regarding the wage advance or loan, we would always advise that you do so. Another area of permissible deductions is gonna be lodging and meals. uh, Only if the lodging or the meals are being provided primarily for the benefit of the employee And only if it's customary in the industry to provide these types of items to your employees. And the employer may only deduct the reasonable cost of providing the items, not what the employer would charge to the public. And then the last area I will mention is voluntary charitable contributions. So those are some of the areas where you um, may make a deduction that cuts into the minimum wage.
0: Well, great, John Vief. Thank you for that. Now, when I I hear you talk about some of those, I think of some examples that maybe we should talk about just briefly. One is sometimes we see employers that will uh, make a deduction or want to make a deduction for uniforms or cash shortages or something along those lines. I'm assuming that if an employer made a deduction along those lines and it were to cut into the minimum wage or the overtime, that would be a problem under the FLSA. Is that correct?
1: That would be correct. You, you can make the deduction for a uniform. You just have to make sure that you're not cutting into the actual minimum wage of that employee's pay.
0: Well, great, okay. And then similarly, you started talking about lodging and things of that nature. You know, It's my understanding that a good example of that would be that if an employer had apartments that they rented out and maybe they rented those out for $500 a month, but the true cost of providing the apartment was really only 250, then that would be all they'd be able to charge from the employee or deduct from their wages. Is that right?
1: That's correct. You, you couldn't charge the $500 or you couldn't deduct the $500 for their compensation, just the the cost.
0: Well, great. As I'm sure our listeners can tell, these can be fairly complicated issues so that if you plan to make some deductions along the lines of these, we encourage you to look very carefully at the rules and the laws on that or to talk with your uh, labor and employment counsel. Now, We've just talked about non-exempt and hourly employees, let's just talk for a minute about salaried exempt employees. So the, the deductions that can be made from their wages are different and can be somewhat confusing. The, I think the first general rule is, is that, for the most part, we shouldn't be making deductions from the wages of salaried exempt employees, except for things like taxes and benefits. So we don't have the same ability if an employee takes two hours off in the middle of the day for them to leave and for us to dock their pay by two hours. And the reason for that is because we pay them on a salary basis. In other words, we pay them a salary for each week for however many hours it takes for them to get their job done. And even though you may expect them to work a certain number of hours, we can't dock their pay if they don't. Now, that does not prevent you as an employer from requiring them from using paid leave from a bank to cover those absences, such as vacation or PTO, but otherwise, they need to receive their full salary for the week. Now, there are a few exceptions under the law, and I'm not going to get into all of them, but there are a few where you can dock their pay. For example, absences related to the FMLA, we can dock their pay for that. Uh, if an employee takes a full day absence for purely personal reasons, then we can dock their pay for that. So let's say that I'm a salaried exempt employee, and I take Friday off to play play golf, which doesn't have anything to do with my work. Then in that case, my employer could dock my pay for that full full day absence. But let's keep in mind that if while I'm out on the golf course or before or after I take some work related calls or return some emails, then in all likelihood that has turned that day into a work day rather than a purely personal day. Of course, there are de minimis exceptions and things, but the de minimis is a pretty small amount of time. So we wanna be very careful about how we make these deductions for full day absences from our salaried exempt employees. There are some others related to bona fide sick leave plans and policies, a few related to disciplinary issues where perhaps you can make a full day deduction. But I will caution you that these are uh, difficult to comply with from a legal standpoint. And so if you're going to make those sorts of deductions, I think you're going to need to scrutinize those carefully review those with your human resources or employment law professionals, and be sure that you're handling it the right way. I would say that the bottom line is, is that you really, as a general rule, and I think I said this earlier, as a general rule, you shouldn't be making any sort of deductions from salaried exempt employees. And the primary reason we're concerned about this is that if we make those deductions, then we run the risk of jeopardizing the exempt status of that employee which would mean that if they're not exempt, you would have to be paying them for all the hours and overtime they work in every week. So we've talked about deductions here. Let's talk about reimbursements and deductions under state and local laws. What we've talked about so far has been under federal law and the Fair Labor Standards Act for the most part. So let's start with deductions, jean Viev. What are some of the types of issues we need to think about from a state and local law standpoint when it comes to deductions?
1: Sure. So there are about half of the states have laws or guidance addressing reimbursements and allowable deductions from wages. There's a number of states that require employees to give advance notice. Sometimes that's in writing. Sometimes that's even 30 days in advance. And then some states give employees the right to actually withdraw authorization for deductions. Just to touch on some of the states that have you know, notable deduction laws or reimbursement laws, California, Illinois, and Montana have some of the more robust reimbursement laws that employers are required to reimburse employees for all necessary expenditures, losses, or business expenses that are gonna be incurred by their employees as a direct consequence of the employee fulfilling their job duties. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have states like Alaska and Arkansas that require reimbursement only if the equipment that was purchased by the employee for work-related purposes can't be used during normal social activities of the employee on their off time, or if that purchase would bring the employee's compensation below the minimum wage. It's gonna be good practice that you require your employees to submit reimbursements within a certain amount of time after the employee incurs the expense so that your employees aren't just sitting around on the reimbursement request for forever. However, you should know that state law may ultimately determine the deadline by which your employees must submit their reimbursement request. So for instance, California allows up to three years to submit a reimbursement request. So you really want to stay vigilant um, and make sure you stay in touch with your Labor and Employment Council on um, staying up to date on these state and local laws that address deductions and reimbursements.
0: Well, John, that's very interesting. You know, one of the things I think we need to emphasize for our listeners is that if a company is making a mistake in how they're handling deductions or reimbursements, it's likely they're making that mistake for a large group of people. Unfortunately, what that means in the labor and employment world is that mistake then lends itself to a class or collective action lawsuit being brought. And under federal law and many of the state laws, that means that if they can prove, the plaintiff's attorneys can prove any sort of violation, then you as the employer must pay the plaintiff's attorney's fees in addition to the potential damages and liquidated damages available under the statute. So, we've got some incentive to take a look at this and be sure we're handling things the right way. And one of the things I think employers can do is conduct audits of their own practices to see, are we making the right sort of deductions? Are we uh, handling reimbursements in a proper way to be sure that they're okay before either a class or collective action lawsuit comes or the Department of Labor comes knocking. I will tell you that when the Department of Labor conducts their audits, the first thing they do is look through your payroll for deductions, and then they begin asking questions to determine whether those are being handled on a proper basis. Well, John Viev, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your insight into this. If anyone that's attending today would like to get more information on this or other wage and hour topics, you can contact John Viev directly. You can go to our website and take a look at our wage and hour practice group page. You can sign up for alerts to come from our firm when, when developments come along or laws change that you should need to be aware of. Uh, you can also listen to other podcasts that we have available where podcasts are available to you now. So thank you very much for attending and please feel free to let us know if we can do anything to help you.
1: This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation.